This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hello, I'm Keith, an alcoholic. The AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no due or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Keith. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. 
It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. So welcome to the show, Keith. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about who you are? Well, I'm Keith. I'm a member of AA and uh, I have been in the AA program now for approximately 31 years. And, and um, how long have you been sober for? 31 years. 31 years. Wonderful. Well, just over, actually, but, yeah, roughly 31 years. Excellent. And um, do you work? Yes, I have a little business. I uh, travel around the South Island selling gourmet food lines into the supermarkets. And, Wonderful. Uh, and uh, a lot of my customers know that I'm an AA. And, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe now a few more will know when they I'm quite proud of the fact that... Uh, um, sure, sure. And family? I have a lovely wife from Thailand, mm-hmm. and um, we've been married 14 years. Wonderful. I was married. My first marriage um, fell apart after a few years, um, and mm-hmm. that was partly because of my drinking. Mm, mm, mm. And um, so tell us, tell us a little bit like what it was like growing up. Um, yeah, it's interesting because... Um, in a lot of cases, the alcoholic has perhaps um, come from a fa- family that reeks or, or has a lot of alcoholism, and I actually was the complete opposite in a lot of ways. Mm. My parents hardly drank. They were a loving mother, uh, husband and wife, and they brought my sister and I up with very good values and uh, alcoholic. And, uh, and I didn't drink much in my early years until I perhaps got to six, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen and started sneaking into the hotels and drinking a bit with my mates. And that was a gradual process, so it wasn't in the normal where mm. a lot of people sort of find them when they're thirteen or fourteen, fifteen they start drinking and I didn't really. Sure, sure. And so okay, so tell us when you know, when you're sneaking into the hotels and you pick up that drink, what did it do for you? It was great because I was with my mates and um, and I I mean I got drunk a few times but nothing really bad I mean everyone did it it was mm. camaraderie uh, peer pressure mm. was a certain amount of it and you wanted to be like the rest of your mates and um, I enjoyed it and um, it was a great life and um, I didn't drink a lot but. Um, in hindsight, I perhaps was the first one at the bar, and I was mm. always the last one to leave. We <laughs> going to, a, and I of course grew up and being an older person, I grew up in the age where I first started drinking when we had the six o'clock swell. Right. And that was a bloody swell. Everyone raced down to the hotel and drank up as quick as you could because mm-hmm. the bars closed at six o'clock. Mm. The other side of that was the party started early at seven and eight o'clock. Right. <laughs> so you're all home by midnight. But that's diverting slightly from the thing but and, and so so in your late teens early adulthood um there was certainly alcohol around but mm. it wasn't too much of a problem no and so there was no uh need for you to think hang on this isn't normal there was nothing there certainly not no so when did it progress then um i guess in my late 20s mm-hmm 
And, uh, yeah, I guess I was still trying to be a 19-year-old teenager and have a lot of fun and chase the girls and do all those things you do when you're a 19 or 20, maybe. Um, and I gradually sort of got close to 30 and my drinking became part of my life. And I was drinking a lot. Do you know what, what was it that caused that change? There was nothing startling, dramatic that happened in my life that caused it. I think it was a progressive mm-hmm. um, disease. or pro- It was a progressive thing where I just started drinking more and more and I was mixing with the people that were heavy drinkers mm-hmm. and you became part of the heavy drinking crowd and that was your life. And, um, yeah, there was no great one thing. It was just, mm-hmm. it gradually sneaked up on me a wee bit. And and so how bad did it get? It got to the stage when I was um, 43, mm-hmm. um, where my partner at the time was threatening to put me into um, Nova, is it Nona, Nova, mm-hmm. Nova. Nova Clinic or whatever out at Templeton. And she was going to put a court order on me and book me in there. And I realised I had to do something about it. So the two of us ended up at Mahu Clinic in um, in Sunnyside or Hillmorton mm-hmm. Hospital now and an assessment. And, and so prior to that, though, did you right. at any time try and stop yourself or think that you might have a problem? I realised as things progressing, I was getting more of a problem. Mm. Um, and it was becoming worse. Mm-hmm. But like most alcoholics, I thought I can do it. I'm a willpower. I won't mm. drink tomorrow as much as I did today, or I'll abstain for two or three days, and I can never do that very successfully. I was say, how did that go? Yeah, it didn't <laughs> go at all. And it got to the stage where um, I was living in Wellington at the time, Mm-hmm. I was drinking heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still having a business, which I have at the moment. I was running around Wellington area and the South Island. I was driving around with a cask of wine in my car, topping mm. up all the time. Um, okay. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and have a, a couple of drinks. Um, before I went to work in the morning, I'd have a couple of drinks. And uh, it became just part of my life, just drink. Mm. And it didn't matter whether I had a great day sales-wise or a bad day sales-wise. They both justified having a drink. Sure. And so were there any impacts on on your employment or any any run-ins with the law? Well, yes, the law was the big one. I'd had three DICs. Okay. Now, if you've had three DICs and you can't accept you're an alcoholic, there's something wrong with you. But I still, even after three DICs of missing out and going to jail on the third one, which I was very lucky I didn't Mm. go to jail, Mm. um, I still couldn't accept that I had a a real problem. It was partly a problem, a semi-problem, and it's something that if I worked harder on it, I could do it in my own own strength and will. But it was getting worse and worse. And so just back then, you know, so you touched on, I guess, what for you was your rock bottom, which was your your partner saying to you, this has to stop. Yeah. And that was, was that it for you? Was that? No, I did the assessment and I was told um, by the um, medical guy there, who's become quite a good friend of mine now, mm. 
and I won't mention his name, but he said to me, you're just a com- common garden variety alcoholic, Keith, which hurt. <laughs> that really hurt me. I mean, I thought, I'm not a common garden variety <laughs> alcoholic. I've got a problem with my drinking, but it's not that bad. Right. But it was. I was missing days. I mean, I remember classic. I, I drove from Christchurch up to Nelson. I got to Nelson and... I did a bit of work and then I ran onto a friend or caught up with a friend and uh, I said, oh, you know, buddy, I'm pretty tired on a Monday. He said, it's not a Monday, it's a Wednesday. Wow. And I thought, how the hell did I lose two days? <laughs> you know, sensible people don't do that. Mm. But I'd lost two days somewhere along the line. Mm. And that's how bad my life was. Okay, and so after, um, you know, going to these various treatment facilities, what was it that brought you to your first AA meeting? Well, when I got diagnosed as common garden variety alcoholic, (laughs) I then, they said, we'll book you into the Mahu Clinic to do a three-week treatment program. So I did the three-week treatment program, and while I was there, I went to a number of AA meetings. And I enjoyed them, but I still was thinking, am I really still? I came out of there 50-50, I guess. Okay. I enjoyed AAA and I could see what they were doing, but it didn't sort of gel with me straight away. What were the people like? Were they welcoming? Yes, they're lovely. And mm. um, you know, I, I, I just found that the, the AA people, I guess, you know, I'd go to a meeting and everyone would be happy, they'd be contented. <laughs> and my life was getting miserable. Mm. You know, because the alcoholism, my mood swings were terrible. I'd lost a lot of friends, uh, and mm. my my life was a bit of a bloody mess, to be quite honest. Um, but yes. I found um, the people in, in the AA uh, meetings were friendly, welcoming, mm-hmm. and um, were there to help. So, what was it then that that made it click for you, thirty one years ago? It, wasn't so much the AA. What actually? Well, I was going to a. Once I came, I, I did a three-week program at Mahu Clinic, and I came out, and I lasted about a month, and then I drank again, and that happened four or five times over the next mm-hmm. six months. And I ended up in desperation, going to Kennedy, and doing a week detox there. Right. So and, detox program. Yeah, and as a result of being there, uh, witnessing people with Corsicop, and talking with them. And I don't know, something sunk in, mm. finally. There wasn't brilliant flash of lightning or anything like that. It Mm-mm. was just something there that happened. And I walked out after a week in there wandering around in my pyjamas, um, etc. I walked out of there and I haven't drunk since. And that's wow. just over 31 years ago. So there was something happened there and I don't know exactly what it was. Exactly so, what it was. So, yeah, describe what are the things that you've done to maintain your sobriety over the 31 years? Right. Well, I did, I, I was going to the AA meetings, a couple of meetings a week, but mm-hmm. then I was drinking, then I was going to meetings and I was drinking. Mm-hmm. After I came out of Kennedy, I started getting meetings, and then eventually, a few months later, I got a sponsor. Right. And that was the best thing that happened to me, mm-hmm. because he was a pretty, I won't mention his name, but he was a pretty hard-ass bastard. He, he didn't put <laughs> up with that much bullshit from me, and uh, he would be... You know, do this, do that, do that. And that's what I needed. And did you do it? Yes, I did what he told me to do because I knew it was the only way I was going to stay sober. Right. And pumping the AA meetings. So yep. between the sponsor, AA meetings, sponsor, AA meetings, and starting to do the program, 
mm-hmm. things gradually, gradually, gradually got better. And we talk about the program being the steps. Yep, started doing the steps. And service, how important has that been for you? I don't have done as much service as I'd like to have done, when in theory what I'd like to have done, but I have done, I still remember vividly the Sunday morning Mahu meeting, which is still my home group, mm-hmm. um, which used to be at Mahu. Um, and I, I, for some reason I liked that meeting right from day one. I was doing other meetings as well, scattered around the city. Um, but I was away out of town a lot on business, mm. and I'd sometimes go to a meeting out of town, but not a lot. But mm. the Sunday morning meeting, I don't know, something resonated with that meeting, and the 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 caliber of the people at the meeting, the the mix of people from all stages of society, mm-hmm. old, young, mm-hmm. rich, poor, everything, mm-hmm. really, affect, yeah, that <laughs> really, um, I liked the Sunday morning, and. I remember I'd only been to a few meetings and someone said to me, it might have been my sponsor, I can't remember who now, it's a long time ago, someone said to me, you'd make a good tea boy. I thought, how <laughs> debilitating that is, you know, tea boy, better than that. What about treasure or something? No, 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 you just be the tea boy. So I was tea boy for about two years, I couldn't get rid of the job, but anyway, I actually enjoyed it. What it did to me is meant after the meeting, instead of scurrying out the door, and getting into my head again, I stood around and I washed the dishes. And then you'd start chatting to people. You got to know people better. You developed friendships with the regulars that were going to those meetings. You felt more comfortable. You felt more relaxed at that meeting. And you felt, and it helped you with other meetings. And so, you know, I was a tea boy. And since then, I've been treasurer for Mahu a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I've been secretary a couple of times. I've Mm-hmm. Been a bit of everything. Sure, sure. Um, so I've done reason amount of service, and I've done um, sponsor. Currently sponsoring a couple of couple of guys at the moment. Um, and, and I guess that you know that sort of brings me on to you know what are some of the things that you do? You know, how do you cope with difficulties? One thing I learnt very early in the piece was two things. Keith, you got two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion, which is very good for me because I can talk mm. to the cows come home and I have to do it in my work. And um, <clears throat> that is one thing. The other thing that I found very, that I'm a firm believer in and um, is very strong in my mind is halt, hunger, anger, loneliness, and tiredness. And mm. I can always put me, my head getting out of space. I, I won't want to drink, but it knows. I mean, it's that I'm getting cranky, I'm getting grumpy, I'm getting a certain amount of that I'm allowed to have because I'm mm. older now. But, um, <laughs> but you know, if I'm talking to my wife and sometimes I come home and I'm all grumpy and shitty and uh, my wife, being tired, doesn't understand the AA program, but she mm. can understand when I'm in a good mood and when I've been to a meeting and I'm in a good mood or bad mood, I've been working hard all day. But I just find, you know, have something to eat when you feel hungry. Don't worry about your waistline. That's irrelevant. Anger. Well, just don't take it. Go outside and take a deep breath. Mm. And I might say the serenity prayer to myself or whatever. Loneliness. And I'm out of town and running around the South Island. I've got a good network of friends in Nelson right. and Dunedin and Queenstown, which I go and have a meal with mm. rather than sit at the motel feeling sorry for myself mm. and having rubbishy takeaways. Mm-hmm. And tiredness. 
Mm. You know, I have no compunction now. I'll come home from work at five o'clock and I might do a half an hour paperwork. Then I said to my wife, darling, I'm going upstairs for a little sleep. Yeah. And I'll go and sleep for an hour. Mm. And I wake up refreshed. Mm. So I bring that halt into my life all mm. the time and I use it all the time. Mm. So that I have to now because, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. My head still <laughs> tells me I'm 49, but my body tells me I'm a lot older than that. <laughs> and I've got to listen to my body. And... um. One of the things we talk about in AA is that it is a spiritual program, not a religious mm. program. What does that look like for you? The, I mean, I, I must admit, when I first started the AA program, seeing the word God all over the place was quite frightening in a lot of ways. But then I started hearing things like God stands for good orderly direction. Mm -hmm. I, thought, mm, I can mm -hmm. handle that. And I mean, the, the flippant one is gathering of drunks, which is also another mm -hmm. um, good one in the summer. But I was not religious at all. My father was an atheist, and uh, mm -hmm. he brought me up as a um, as an atheist in a lot of ways. And I had no time much for religion. But when I started thinking about God and higher power, I could handle the higher power, and and I still work on that basis: the higher power, God, yes and no. But um, it is a very spiritual program. Mm. And I, if I feel that spiritually I'm in a good space, life is good. Mm. But if spiritually I'm in a bad space, and it's a hard one to define and, and talk about. Mm. Um, but I, I actually find, and it's, people might laugh at this, but my wife being from Thailand is a Buddhist. And Buddhism has a lot of similar to mm traits to the AA program and they're very spiritual people my wife was very spiritual and some of the things that she says and does I find a wee bit strange but I can now understand them because there's a spirituality there that we don't necessarily have in the western society or mm. civilization um, where they do and I like the blend you know I'm in, when I'm in Thailand I go to the temple a lot and I talk to the monks a lot and uh, I can understand they're spiritual, and it rubs off of me, and it rubs it in the AA program as well. Wow, that's beautiful. And um, so, Keith, what, what would you recommend for someone who thinks they might have a problem, or what, what are some of the things they could ask them, themselves? What they need to do is, the, the first thing that everyone says, well, you don't drink much, well... Yeah, in a lot of cases, in some cases, I didn't drink a lot, but I also drank a lot, but it's hard to say. It's not the amount that you drink, and a lot of people say, well, someone that's only drinking one bottle of vodka a day is not an alcoholic, but someone that's drinking two bottles of vodka a day is this. Well, that's just rubbish. It's not the quantity you drink. It's how it is affecting you mm. and your surroundings, meaning your work, your family, and everyone that's associated with you. Is it affecting that? If the answer is yes, 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 to a degree, mm -hmm. doesn't matter the amount, but if it is affecting mm -hmm. your life, your work environment, your family life, that's the important one, the family life. If it's starting to affect your life, mm. then you've got an issue. And what are some of the things that they can do? I guess first thing is to, well, to acknowledge that they need to do something. And secondly, um, I guess... Mm, contact someone uh, in the AA, ring the AA hotline or mm -hmm. um, yeah, go Google it. There's plenty of phone yeah. numbers. Go to a meeting and have a chat with someone at the meeting. It's, you know, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, you might not. I mean, nine times out of ten, most people will say they haven't got a problem with alcohol. Mm -hmm. They'll bluff their way through and try and mm. talk their way out of it and say it's not really a problem, blah, blah, blah. And the average person can't see the problem in themselves. And how would you describe your life today? Bloody amazing. Mm -hmm. I, even though, as I said, I'm getting old and that doesn't hurt, doesn't um, <laughs> sit too well on my shoulders, but I can handle it because um, I've got a beautiful life now. My last 31 years, the first few years were a bit tough getting mm -hmm. to grips with myself and the program and doing what I should be doing and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I have a lovely, uh, caring wife. Mm. Um, I love it a bit. Um, and my life's just amazing now mm. compared with what it was 32, 33, mm -hmm. 34 years ago. Yeah. And it's just got better and better. And yes. there's, there's not a hell of a lot now in my life that really upsets me a bit. You know, I don't like getting um, my accountant ringing me and saying you write out a cheque for $5,000 within that revenue or whatever. But <laughs> if that's all I've got to worry about, life's not too bad. Um, That's and I have. I'm still running around the South Island, and uh, um, I spend a lot of time in Thailand, uh, mm -hmm. which I absolutely love. And um, my wife and I love it back there, but mm -hmm. we also head to there. So mm -hmm. I guess in a lot of ways, as I say to people, I've got a foot in both cases. I've got a foot in Thailand and a foot in New mm -hmm. Zealand, and um, and I spin between the two of them. And it's just tremendous. The, the AA, the fellowship, is amazing. Mm. And I've done meetings all around the world. Mm. Immersed yourself in, I, around yeah. the world. <laughs> in fact, I ended up at a, a woman's AA meeting in London many years ago, <laughs> which I shouldn't have been at, but they invited me to stay, so I stayed. Oh, Everyone them. reckons that um, <laughs> I, I did it deliberately, but I didn't. It was an accident. <laughs> I didn't realise it was a woman's only meeting. But that was well, a fantastic meeting. Well, Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Lovely. Thank you, Eloise. Thank you. And Chris. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every week at 5.30pm on Monday at Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. 